With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, we begin our prayer this morning here in front of your real presence on the altar, your divine presence. And uh, we abandon ourselves to you now in front of all the challenges that we have in our life, including the cold and the weather and uh, the tons of snow that have fallen. We abandon ourselves to you and we make an act of faith as we begin this, this time of prayer. And we always want to be close to you because we know when we are close to you, we are always at peace. We are serene. Even if we are undergoing hardships, we are at peace because you give meaning to everything. You give a profound sense of purpose to everything we do, even if it doesn't turn out perfectly well. That's why we can begin this meditation with a beautiful passage from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 2, where he tells us that Jesus assisted at a wedding as a guest. Probably he received an invitation and he went there together with his disciples and his mother. A wedding that you know took place at Cana of Galilee. We don't know exactly how old the couple were or who exactly they were, but let's suppose they were quite young with all their life ahead of them. And it has been described that very fact of his presence there at Cana in that wonderful wedding with so many people dancing and singing. Well, it was the wedding reception, right? But uh, it has been described as the first sign that Jesus came. That Jesus, it was the first sign that Jesus gave of his public ministry. Not because he did such a wonderful, amazing, powerful miracle. I mean, it was a miracle to transform water into wine. But it was a sign. And what was it a sign of? Was it a sign that he could do incredible miracles? I mean, not yet do we see him you know, raising the dead or, or, or healing the sick or cleansing lepers. We don't hear about that yet. But this is the first sign he chose. And what was it a sign of? That he had the power to transform water into wine. Well, I mean, wine is largely made of water anyway, so it's, you know, it's, okay, it's a sign, it's a miracle that he did it right away after, you know, so so rapidly. Yes, it's a miracle. But what was it really a sign of? Well, Pope Francis says that it was a sign to reveal to us the love of the Father. He says it that Jesus reveals himself as a spouse that comes to the people of God and reveals the depth of the relationship that unites them, that unites us with Jesus. And he, he does so by a truly new covenant of love. A new covenant. And it has been said that just the very fact of his presence there at this marriage sanctified it. 
and sanctified all future marriages. This is, in some ways you could say, this is really when he instituted the sacrament of matrimony. He sanctified it. He gave it sanctifying value. The Catechism says that the Church attaches a great importance to Jesus' presence at the wedding at Cana. She sees in it the confirmation of the goodness of marriage and the proclamation that henceforth marriage will be an efficacious sign of Christ's presence. Well, just the fact that Christ is present is also, is also a reflection of, of his love. All he has to do is be present, and already he loves us, just as he is present here. Already, just by, by virtue of his presence, it means he, there's a relationship of love there, a covenant of love. So Lord, by your presence, you are making something natural, a good thing, and you are elevating it to make it something even more beautiful, giving it more solidity, more permanence. That's why the Catechism says a little bit later, it says, marriage is not a purely human institution. Despite the many variations it may have undergone through the centuries in different cultures, social structures, and spiritual attitudes, these differences should not cause us to forget its common permanent characteristics. Although the the dignity of this institution is not transparent everywhere with the same clarity, some sense of the greatness of the matrimonial union exists in all cultures. It's a, it's a great thing, matrimony. It's a great thing in the sense that it's not merely a human thing. And it is you, Lord, by your presence that elevates it. That you make it into a supernatural covenant of love, a new covenant. And you, Lord, come to us as a spouse to ensure that that covenant takes place. You know, that's why it's a natural thing, but you elevate it. You know, a woman is beautiful, but when she puts on her wedding gown, whoa, then it's really, you know, amazing. It's like an apparition. Right? I told you that story about years ago, I presided over a wedding, and uh, <clears throat> I, you know, I prepared the couple, and they were all ready to go, and we reserved the chapel in a cathedral, a special chapel, they called it a chapel for weddings or something like that. And, uh, and we said, okay, it's on such and such a day. And, um, well, let's go. So we, they invited all the people. And I arrived there, of course. And, uh, you know, half an hour before, everything was ready. Beautiful flowers. I was there with the groom. And I could see he was kind of nervous and stuff. But uh, and then the hour came. And uh, we had, all the people were sitting down waiting and the bride wasn't showing up. She was like, where is the bride? It's supposed to start at 10 o'clock. And she was not showing up. And people were shuffling in their sheet seats and he was like streaming with, uh, with sweat now. You know, he already, he was looking at me. He says, where is she? Where is she? Has she, has she just left or what's going on? And I said, I thought, well, just let's wait a few more minutes and uh, let's see what happens. And everybody was whispering and talking, what's going on? 
And then finally, about I think it was like 15 or 20 minutes after all this, at the entrance of the church, of the chapel of this church, there she appeared. And she was like a like an apparition, right? It was it was like a, an apparition of an angel, literally, you know. And the sigh of relief in the whole crowd, you know, it was like we were saying, "God is here." And um, and uh, everybody, many people didn't really know her or who she was, but but they saw how beautiful she was. You know, she had uh, all the, of course, the bridesmaids throwing flowers, and uh, you know, they they were like literally the angels throwing flowers in front of uh, the bride. And uh, it was really one got got the sense that well, she was beautiful before, but now she was really, you know. Insane. So, it's not purely, that's what the Catholic Church says, it's not purely a human thing. God wanted it. He wanted to elevate its status. Like it's like a premium status, you know, and you get premium membership, you know, when you go into a Roman Catholic wedding. And so Jesus chose this place, this moment of joy and celebration of a lifelong commitment to perform his first miracle and, and really the first sign of, of what would be his way of communicating to us the love of God through this image of a, a covenant of love. And all his disciples were with him and it is likely even that members of his own family were with him along with Mary. Well, we know Mary was there. And uh, it's as though... You could say it's as though there were two miracles happening here. The, the lifelong bond itself, that's in some ways a, a miracle. And the water that was changed into, into wine. Very good, high quality wine. Rich wine, beautiful wine. And you can't celebrate such a miracle as the lifelong bond with warm milk, right? Or with, with tea. You need good wine. You need good wine, which is a sign of the joy that that bond represents. And so with his attendance, Jesus places a kind of stamp of approval on this marriage covenant. And we should think now that Jesus approves your marriage. He approves it. He's, he's put a, a stamp of authenticity on it. Even if you have to go through hardships and difficulties and, and sometimes real difficulties. And with his miracle, he shows whence the, the blessings in a marriage spring. And it is, it is in those uh, blessings in your marriage, even though they might seem a bit blurry or out of focus, we should go back to that moment where he did something that was very supernatural, very uh, godlike in that in that human event. Maybe, you know, go back. People look at those Super 8 movies of their, of their wedding or old videos that are kind of blurry, but everybody's happy on that moment when they exchanged the consent. And everybody was younger then, and, and the priest probably by now is dead, right? But... But your your covenant is still there. And so the love and the joy 
that is inherent in a wedding ceremony are also characteristic for the ministry of Christ who came to the world because of love and brought joy to all who believe. And Jesus may have chosen this family, this situation, to perform this miracle because, as, we, as the Catechism says, it's something that is present in every culture, that every culture can relate to. An ordinary setting became the showcase of his supernatural power. And of course we know when the, the wine, the first wine ran out, Mary came to intervene. That means what? Well, there are, there are really three things here. There's the first wine that was the human contribution to this wedding. The thing that was good, it was good wine, it was not, it's not bad, it's uh, maybe a good Merlot or something like that, or a Shiraz, I don't know. But uh, it's, a, it's a good wine, it's good. And that's, that's the, the love, it's a sign of the love that brought you together in your marriage, it's good. But it's the human attraction, the romantic attraction that brings a couple together. And it's good, it's good. I mean, otherwise you wouldn't get married if it wasn't for that, that good tasting wine. But, like any wine, eventually the bottle runs out. Runs out. Just, it just doesn't last forever. You don't buy a huge gallon, you know, I don't know, you, you, it's just a bottle. And it runs out. The romanticism, the, the joy of the first attraction, I don't know what the, how much time it takes for it to run out, but eventually it runs out and it can turn into simple just ordinary well there's no more wine left and so Jesus he takes that 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 wine has run out and our lady notices this detail and she really wants there to be joy in this wedding because just surviving on water it's it, you can survive you can survive but she wants to be, she wants in that family, in that wedding couple, which of course we know, I mean, they went on for a long time, they went for days. You can survive on water, it's okay. And so she says to her son, they have run out of wine. They have run out of wine. And with that response of Jesus, you know, what does this have to do with me? She goes, he's, he's kind of like, He's kind of like transmitting the, the responsibility to her. And she tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. In other words, do what God asks of you. Do always in your life the will of God. And then she, he fills uh, the, uh, they fill the gallons uh, with water or the, 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 you know, the receptacles with water. The Lord comes. Again, he makes not only his presence felt, but his very miraculous action is there. And that water now turns into the best high-quality wine. It's no longer just a Shiraz. It's like, a, it's like an 18-year bottle of, uh, yeah, whatever, Marquez de Riscal or something like that, you know, which is the best Rioja wine you can get. And uh, that is the... That is the second wine in a marriage. That is the second love that will never run out. Considering the amount of, of gallons of water that the Lord transformed into that amazing wine, 
It won't run out. It'll stay there. That's the supernatural love that has to be there. By saying that, you know, that, that miracle, by saying yes to that, do whatever he tells you, yes to God's will, we are changing the very tone in that marriage sacrament, in that marriage covenant. And this must be our attitude always in the family. Do the will of God always. And we can ask ourselves, have I been doing this week whatever the Lord asks me? Lord, do you want this of me now? St. Josemaria said in the way, many great things depend, don't forget it, on whether you and I live our lives as God wants. Many things depend, including a good and stable and joyful and cheerful marriage. Many things depend. If we're doing what God wants, a great many marriages thrive simply because everyone is determined to do the will of God. And uh, parents don't just funnel their children into some ideas about themselves. They, they nurture their freedom so they can freely accept and integrate God's will for them, whatever it may be. There's another point in the way about the will of God, but also can be applied to the family, or at least how it turns out. He says, we are blocks of stone that can move and feel that have a perfectly free will. God himself is the stone cutter who works on us, chipping off rough edges, shaping us as he desires, with blows of the hammer and chisel. Don't let us try to draw aside. Don't let us want to escape His will. For in any case, we won't be able to avoid the blows. We will suffer all the more and uselessly and instead of polished stone, ready for the work of building, we will be a shapeless heap of gravel that people will trample contemptuously underfoot. So we are, we are either a polished stone that can be used for a beautiful building, or like he says, just a shapeless heap of gravel that people just walk over. You know, and there are marriages that are like those beautiful polished stones, the building blocks of the temple where God resides. Each little house is like a domestic church. Don't we say that? It's like a like a little temple. That's why we say the family is, is the building block of society. And we know that the devil fears the family. He fears its stabilizing power. That's why his first task is to find ways to, to weaken the family, make it more and more fragile by transmitting a kind of more human outlook to the family. But remember how in the readings in the last few days we've seen the story of King David and especially when he was a young King David and how he was going to ascend to the throne and how in the last few days we saw how he was uh, confronted with the Philistine Goliath who was a large and muscular and menacing and heavily armored and powerful and would use these insulting words against uh, 
the very handsome and ruddy David probably had blonde hair and you know was, was not as terribly you know in shape as as uh, as Goliath and the book of Samuel says that David went in order to confront Goliath he went to the Wadi River and he selected five smooth stones and he put them in his purse and he went off to confront the giant Goliath and Goliath was there with his uh, shield bearer and uh, his sword and his armor and but I mean David took one shot he hit this giant in the forehead and the big heap of evil just collapsed this was a one smooth stone this is what the family can do in the culture around us that's seeking to destroy the family or our marriages it's what it, it can do you know, with, you know, with the culture around us with its hold on education its influence on the media on Hollywood its lobbies and politics and it seems too powerful for us to respond to this but we must respond to all those lobbies, all those negative influences on the family. Well, like David, with, I would say we should go to the wadi and take five smooth stones. The smooth stone of prayer, especially prayer in the family. Always done in a way, of course, that respects the freedom of the children. Some families do the rosary, the family rosary, there's other forms of prayer, of course. The sacraments, Holy Mass. These are part of the, the smooth stones that each one of us has to put in his purse to fight the dangers of the Goliaths around us. Sometimes the Goliaths are within us with our anger and our resentment that we could build up. But we have to, by obeying God's will, we have to really build that our marriages into a kind of a temple with those beautiful stones, not into a, a gravel heap. You know, they say, there's that image they say, or a phrase they sometimes say, well, that, that family, their, their marriage fell apart. It's interesting they use that expression, fell apart, as though it was meant to be a building, but it just fell apart, collapsed. Why do they say it's falling apart? It suggests that they were building something that it intended to be solid and permanent like a strong powerful building where many could take refuge the catechism speaks about the bond that holds everything together like cement in a building it says the con consent by which the spouses mutually give and receive one another is sealed by God himself from their covenant arises an institution confirmed by divine law even in the eyes of society. The covenant between the spouses is integrated in God's covenant with man. Authentic married love is caught up in divine love. And that's what Pope Francis would say, right? that presence of Jesus there at Cana is, he's like coming to us like a spouse with the people of God to create with us that covenantal love. And, and therefore the bond of marriages has been established by God himself in, you know, in such a way that a marriage concluded and consummated between two baptized persons 
can never be dissolved. The bond is so strong. It's an irrevocable bond. It, it is guaranteed by God's fidelity. In fact, we know the church does not have the power to contravene this divine wisdom. She can never dissolve a marriage. And we can't say that we know better than God. So let us, let us ask the Lord you know, to see, you know, has the first wine in my marriage run out? And we can ask for Our Lady to intercede and intercede so that the, the sacrament of marriage come step in with our Lord to, to produce that or provide that miraculous wine. And you'll remember how the steward, when he tasted the wine, he thought, wow, this is, this is really good wine. He said, you have kept the wine, the good wine until now? And this, this is an image of what happens after, after years in a marriage. You give yourself more and more, and you know, you're increasing in quality every time you're patient with your spouse. You're increasing with, in quality every time you do that chore and you don't complain. You're, you're getting like better and better wine. It's like sitting in the vats there, right? And I don't know exactly why wine improves with time. I don't, I don't know what the reason is exactly, but it just sits there. You'd think, you know, it just sits there. Why is it getting better? I don't know. But it's getting better. Same thing with, uh, you know, a good vodka. You know, they, they always put, in the middle of the bottle, they put 18 years. 18 years. It's been sitting there. That's just enough time for a child to grow up, right? But, but uh, and then sometimes even better wine is really expensive. It's, I think, 21 years or something. That's vodka. But uh, you know. I remember seeing years and years ago, this is, dates back to the 70s, but an old... An, an article in National Geographic where they were talking about wines, great wines, and how it's produced, and in France, and blah blah blah, and and, uh, and they had a picture of a, a dusty wine cellar where you could see old old bottles of wine that had prepared been prepared like a, like a hundred years ago or something like that, right? and they were they were like kept there as this super valuable wine, right? And uh, but this this is in the seventies, so it's even older now, you know. But uh, I don't know if anybody's drunk them now. But uh, and um, so that that first love is what you bring your human contribution that makes you rejoice in your decision to undertake that marriage. But with time, with so many things to do, with work, with the kids, it could be that you all, we all get too focused on the many things around us, and the original love that brought you there runs out and uh, and so well we have to ask the lord really to be to be ready to accept that new wine with the sacrament of marriage let's be ready really to suffer for one another and uh, knowing that when you sometimes take a really, really good wine, you know, it's uh, one of the characteristics of drinking a very good wine is that sometimes it will give you a headache. 
because it's so good. Uh, I don't know why, but it gives you a headache, you know. But uh, and well, a good marriage can sometimes give you a bit of headache. But it's a, a good quality wine, and it has actually improved you, that it has made you into a saint. When you look at the the parents of Saint Therese, right? They suffered a lot. They went through all kinds of hardships. But they were saints. You see the same with the parents of Saint Maria. They suffered a lot. But they, I think they became saints. And so we have to ask our Blessed Mother to be ready for the good wine, even if it produces headaches. God loved us in the first way when He created us and filled us with all those goods, with heaven, with earth, with flowers, our bodies, everything that is His gift to us. But then at the fullness of time, in Christ He came to us, and He suffered for us unto the death on the cross. He's that, that, that was the second wine. He suffered for us. That's you know, how true love uh, expresses itself. So let us ask this of our Blessed Mother, and know that she will go to Jesus and say, look at this one, he or she has no wine. And then she will come back to us and say, do whatever he tells you. Maybe we can see in this recollection, if I am indeed doing whatever the Lord tells me, and if I do that, if I am actually in my, in my covenant of love, doing whatever the Lord asks me, I, well, I will have a very, very valuable wine in my life, and it will fill us with joy, with uh, happiness, with serenity, and the, and the bonds that are created all over, right? like was the case in that marriage at Cana. Our Blessed Mother will intercede for us and provide for, for your marriage right? the most tasteful, beautiful wine we could imagine. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, to see for me.